Chapter Twelve of The Web of the Golden Spider. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Web of the Golden Spider by Frederick Oren Bartlett. Chapter Twelve. Of Love and Queens. For a few minutes, Wilson kept in the background. He saw that the young man was in command and apparently knew what he was about for one order followed another, succeeded by a quick movement of silent figures about the decks, a jingle of bells below, and soon the metallic clank of the steam-driven windlass. Shortly after this he felt the pulse-beat of the engines below, and then saw the ship, as gently as a maid picking her way across a muddy street, move slowly ahead into the dark. "'Now,' said Danbury to Stubbs, "'hold your breath.' If we can only slide by the lynx-eyed quarantine officers, we'll have a straight road ahead of us for a while. Maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. You damned pessimist, laughed Danbury. Once we're out of this harbor, I'll give you a feed that will make an optimist of you. The black smoke, sprinkled with golden-red sparks from the forced draft, belched from the funnel tops. The ship slid by the green and red lights of other craft with never a light of her own. The three men stood there until the last beacon was passed and the boat was pointed for the open. "'Done!' exclaimed Danbury. "'Now we'll have our lights and sail like men. Hanged if I like that trick of muffled lights, but it would be too long a delay to be held up here until morning.' He spoke a moment to his mate and then turned to Stubbs. "'Now,' he said, "'come on, and I'll make you glad you're living.' "'Just a moment, Cap'n. My mate, Wilson.' Danbury turned sharply. In the light which now flooded up from below, he saw Wilson's features quite clearly, but for a moment he could not believe his eyes. "'What the devil?' he began, then broke in abruptly. "'Are you the same one?' THE FELLOW IN THE ORIENTAL ROBE AND BANDAGED HEAD? THE SAME, ANSWERED WILSON. THE ONE I TOOK FROM THE CROWD AND BROUGHT HOME? AND CLOTHED AND LOANED TEN DOLLARS, FOR WHICH HE IS MORE THANKFUL THAN EVER. BUT DID YOU GET THE GIRL? NOT YET, ANSWERED WILSON. I'M STILL AFTER HER. WELL, BUT SAY, COME ON DOWN. Danbury led the way into a small cabin so brilliant with the reflection of the electric lights against the spotless white woodwork that it was almost blinding. But it was a welcome change from the dark and the cool night air and the discomfort of the last few hours. To Wilson it was almost like a feat of magic to have been shifted in an hour from the barren sands of the tiny island to such luxury as this. It took but the first glance to perceive that this young captain had not been limited in resources in the furnishing of his ship. Within the small compass of a stateroom he had compressed comfort and luxury. Yet there was no ostentation or vulgarity displayed. The owner had been guided by one desire for decent ease and a certain regard for the eye. The left side of the room was occupied by the two bunks made up with the immaculate neatness characterizing all things aboard a good ship. 
The center of the room was now filled with a folding table set with an array of silver, fine linen, and exquisite glass, which would have done credit to the best board in New York. Beneath the group of electric lights it fairly sparkled and glistened as though it were ablaze. The wall to the right was adorned with the steel engraving of a thoroughbred bull pup. "'Now,' said Danbury, throwing himself into a chair, "'I'd like to know how in thunder Stubbs got you.' "'He didn't. I got Stubbs.' "'But where—' "'On the pier,' broke in Stubbs, "'where I had gone with a note to your pal, "'and may I drop dead if he don't give me the creeps. "'There I finds this gent, and I takes him where I finds him.' "'You got the note to Valverde all right?' "'I got the note to your long-legged friend, but it's his eyes, man. It's his eyes. They ain't human. I seen a man like him once that went mad from the heat, and—' He lowered his voice. "'They found him at his mate's throat, a sucking of his blood.' "'Don't!' exploded Danbury. "'No more of your ghastly yarns. Val is going to be useful to me, or I'm darned if I could stand him. I don't like him after dark. They shines in the dark like a cat's, them eyes does. Drop it, Stubbs, drop it. I want to forget him for a while. That isn't telling me how you chanced. That's just it, interrupted Wilson. It was chance. I was looking for an opportunity to get to Carlina, and by inspiration was led to ask Stubbs. He made the proposition that I come with him, and I came. I had no more idea of seeing you than my great-grandfather. I was going back to thank you, but one thing has followed another so swiftly that I hadn't the time. I know, I know, but if you really want to thank me, you must tell me all about it some day. If things hadn't been coming so fast my own way, I should have lain awake nights guessing about you. If I could have picked out one man I wanted on this trip with me, I'd have taken a chance on you. The way you stood off that crowd made a hit with me. I don't know what sort of a deal you've made with Stubbs, but I'll make one of my own with you after dinner. Now, about the others. No shanghaiing was there, Stubbs. Every man knows where he's going and what he's hired for. They will, before they're through. Danbury's face darkened. "'I'm afraid you've been overzealous. I won't have a man on board against his will if I have to sail back to port with him. But once he's decided for himself, I'll be damned if he turns yellow safely.' "'You've got to remember,' said Stubbs, "'that they're a pack of liars, every mother's son of them. Maybe they'll say they were shanghaied. Maybe they won't.' but I've got fifty papers to show they're liars, cause they've put their names on the bottom of every paper. And they were sober when they did it? I ain't been looking after their morals or their personal habits, replied Stubbs with some disgust. As for their turning yeller, most men are yeller until they're afraid not to be. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Not Americans. And that's the one thing I insisted upon. They are all Americans? Every mother's son of them swore they was. Not being present at their birth. Well, 
We'll look em over tomorrow and I'll have a talk with them. I'm going to put it up to them squarely. Good pay for good fighters. By the Lord, Stubbs, I can't realize yet that we're actually on the way. Think of it. In less than a month we'll be at it. The dinner would have done credit to the Waldorf. It was towards its end that Togo, the Japanese steward, came in with a silver-topped bottle and a pail of ice. He filled the three glasses with the flourish of a man who has put a period to the end of a successful composition. Danbury arose. "'Gentlemen,' he said, raising his glass, "'I have a toast to propose. To her health and her throne.' The two men rose, Wilson mystified, and silently drained their glasses. Then there was the tinkle of shivered glass as Danbury, after the manner of the English in drinking to their queen, hurled the fragile crystal to the floor. Shortly after this, Stubbs left the two men to go below and look after his charges. Danbury brought out a bottle of scotch and a siphon of soda and, lighting his briarwood pipe, settled back comfortably on the bunk with his head bolstered up with pillows. "'Now,' he said, "'I'd like to know just as much of your story as you want to tell, just as much as you feel like telling, and not another word. Maybe you're equally curious about me. If so, I'll tell you something of that afterwards. There's pipes, cigars, and cigarettes. Take your choice.' Wilson felt that he was under certain obligations to tell something of himself, but in addition to this he really felt a desire to confide in someone. It would be a relief. The fact remained, however, that as yet he really knew nothing of Danbury, and so must move cautiously. He told him of the incident in his life which led to his leaving school, of his failure to find work in Boston, of his adventure in helping the girl to escape, which led to the house. Here he confined himself to the arrival of the owner, of his wound, and of the attack made upon him in the house. He told of his search through the dark house, of the closed cellar door, and of the blow in the head. "'Someone bundled me into a carriage, and I came to on the way to the hospital. It was the next day, after I awoke in my cot and persuaded them to let me out, that I had the good luck to run into you.' My clothes had been left in the house, and all I had was the lounging robe which I had put on early in the evening. But you had your nerve to dare venture out in that rig. I had to get back to the house. The girl didn't know where I had gone, and for all I knew was at the mercy of the same madman who struck me. That's right, you had to do it. But honestly, I would rather have met twenty more maniacs in the dark than go out upon the street in that Jap juggler costume of yours. What happened after you left me? Wilson told of the empty house, of finding the note, of locating the other house, and finally of the letter and his race for the wharf. And then I ran into Stubbs and landed here, he concluded. What did Stubbs tell you of this expedition? Nothing, except that we are running to Carlina. Yes, sighed Danbury, dreamily, to Carlina. Well, things certainly have been coming fast for you these last few days. 
and I'll tell you right now that when we reach Carlina, if you need me or any of this crew to help you get the girl, you can count on us. We've got a pretty good job of our own cut out, but perhaps the two will work together. He relighted his pipe, adjusted the pillows more comfortably, and with hands clasped behind his head began his own story. To go back a little, he said, father made a pot of money in coffee, owned two or three big plantations down around Rio, but he had no sooner got a comfortable pile together than he died. That's way back, just about as far as I can remember. As a kid, I wasn't very strong, and so cut out school mostly, got together a few scraps of learning under a tutor, but never went to college. Instead of that, the mater let me knock around. She's the best ever that way, is the mater, tends to her bridge, gives me an open account, and so long as she hears once a month, is happy. Last year I took a little trip down to Dad's plantations, and from there rounded the horn on a sailing vessel and landed way up the west coast in Carlina. It was just chance that led me to get off there and push into Bogova. I'd heard of gold mines in there and thought I'd have a look at them. But before I came to the gold mines, I found something else. He paused a moment. Then, without a word, rose slowly and, fumbling about a moment in a cedar chest near his bunk, drew out a photograph. "'That's she,' he said laconically. Wilson saw the features of a girl of twenty, a good profile of rather a southern cast, and a certain poise of the head which marked her as one with generations of equally good features back of her. If not decidedly beautiful, she was most attractive, giving an impression of an independent nature enlivened with humor. It seemed to Wilson that she might furnish a very good balance to Danbury. "'You lose the best part of her,' said Danbury, reseating himself on the bunk. "'You can't see the eyes, and—' Danbury roused himself and sat on the edge of the bunk, leaning far forward, elbows on knees, gazing steadily at Wilson. "'Say, those eyes do keep a fellow up, don't they? I had only to see them once to know that I'd fight for them as long as I lived. Queer what a girl's eyes—' THE GIRL'S EYES WILL DO. I'LL NEVER FORGET THAT FIRST TIME. SHE WAS SITTING ON ONE OF THOSE PALM-FILLED CAFÉS WHERE THE SUN SPRINKLES IN ACROSS THE FLOOR. SHE WAS DRESSED IN BLACK, NOT A FUNERAL BLACK, BUT ONE OF THOSE FLUFFY THINGS THAT MAKE CREPE LOOK LIKE ROYAL PURPLE. SHE HAD A ROSE, A LONG-STEMMED ROSE, IN HER BODICE, AND ONE OF THOSE SPANISH LACE THINGS OVER HER HAIR. I can see her now, almost reach out and touch her. I went in and took a table not far away and ordered a drink. Then I watched her out of the corner of my eye. She was with an older woman, and, say, she didn't see a man in that whole room. As far as they were concerned, they might have been so many flies buzzing around among the palms. Then a couple of government officers lounged in and caught sight of her. They all knew her down there, cause she is of the blood royal. Her grandmother's sister was the last queen and was murdered in cold blood. 
Yes, sir, and there weren't men enough there to get up and shoot the bunch who did it. Pretty soon these fellows began to get fresh. She didn't mind them, but after standing it as long as she decently could, she rose and prepared to go out. Go out, with an American in the place? Not much. There was a row, and at the end of it they carried the two officers off on a stretcher. Then they pinched me, and it cost me five hundred dollars to get out. But it gave me the chance to meet her later on, and learn all about how she had been cheated out of her throne. You see, the trouble was that republics had been started all around Carlina. They grow down there like mushrooms so that soon some of these chumps thought that they must go and do the same thing, although everything was going finely, and they were twice as prosperous under their queen as the other fellows were under their grafting presidents. Then one of the wild-eyed ones stabbed Queen Marguerite, her grand-aunt, you know, and the game was on. Isn't it enough to make your blood boil? As a matter of fact, the whole blamed shooting match wouldn't make a state the size of Rhode Island, so it isn't worth much trouble except for the honor of the thing. There is a bunch of men down there who have kept the old traditions alive by going out into the streets and shooting up the city hall every now and then, but they've mostly got shot themselves for their pains, which hasn't done the princess any good. I studied the situation and the more I thought of her getting done in this way, the madder I got. So I made up my mind she should have her old throne back. She said she didn't want it, but that was only because she didn't want me to get mixed up in it. At first it did look like a kind of dubious enterprise, but I prowled around, and then I discovered a trump card. Up in the hills there is a bunch of wild Indians who have always balked at a republic, mostly because the Republic tried to clean them out just to keep the army in practice. But the chief, the grand mogul and priest of them all, is the same man Stubbs doesn't like, the same who, for some devilish reason of his own, chose this particular time to sail for South America. But he isn't a bad lot, this Valverde, although he is a queer one. He speaks English like a native, and has ways that, at times, make me think he is half American. But he isn't. He is a heathen clear to his backbone, with a heathen heart and a heathen temper. When he takes a dislike to a man, he's going to make it hot for him some day or other. It seems that he is particularly sore against the government now because of a certain expedition sent up there a little over a year ago and because of the loss of a heathen idol which what broke in wilson half rising from his chair is this the priest they call him mention the priest down there and they knew who you mean go on said wilson breathing a bit more rapidly do you know him maybe you caught a glimpse of him that day you were at the house he was there no i don't know him answered wilson but but i have heard of him it seems that he is everywhere he is a queer one he can get from one place to another more quickly and with less noise than anyone i ever met he's a bit uncanny that way as well as other ways however as i said 
He's been square with me, and it didn't take us long to get together on a proposition for combining our interests. I to furnish guns, ammunition, and as many men as possible. He to fix up a deal with the old party, do the scheming, and furnish a few hundred Indians. I've had the boat all ready for a long while, and Stubbs, one of Dad's old skippers, out for men. Yesterday he jumped at me from Carlina, where I thought he was, ten thousand miles away by sea, and gave the word. Now he is off again on the Columba, and is to meet me in Choco Bay. Danbury relighted his pipe and added between puffs over the match, "'Now you know the whole story and where we're going. Are you with us?' "'Yes,' answered Wilson. "'I am with you.' But his head was whirling. Who was this man who struck at him in the dark, and with whom he was now joined in an expedition against Carlina? One thing was sure, that if the priest was on the boat with Sorez, it boded ill for the latter." it was possible the girl might never reach Carlina. Now, for terms. I'll give you twenty a week and your keep to fight this out with me. Is it a bargain? Yes, answered Wilson. Shake on it. Wilson shook. Danbury rang for the steward. Togo, a bottle. We must drink to her health. End of chapter 12 Recording by Roger Moline